The Warrior Path is a premium remote fitness and nutrition coaching service devoted to training first responders and military servicemen for the harsh realities of their careers. Treating clients like the elite athletes they are so they can get home to their families safely. Each program is individually designed around the unique needs of the client. So whether you are an aspiring police recruit trying to maximize his hiring potential or training for special forces selection, the Warrior Path can tailor a program to your individual needs. With a monthly savings of up to 16 times that of a traditional personal trainer, the choice is obvious. But spots are limited, so hurry now. The first 15 clients will receive an additional 25% discount. The Warrior Path, serving those who serve. Head to www.thewarriorpathpro.com today. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. best part about this uh, part of the show is that we get to talk about those people who are our biggest patrons and scott we actually had quite a few here over the last several weeks that's joined us as new patrons and we have a new one at the tribe level yeah so jonathan lambert has uh, has just joined us uh, at the tribe level and it's um it's great to see these guys coming in uh, uh, as uh, patrons and and really demonstrating to us that what we do every week is is appreciated you know and we, we're helping people and reaching out to people and um we're not just talking shit on the on on the podcast and things and well, we wouldn't do that anyway. about, yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but what you know what we're talking about is, is actually helping people and making a difference and for people to come on a, as a patron and, and um support us one thing but then you know feedback to us that, that what we're doing is making a difference it is generally appreciated from from both senses really yeah, so what we're talking about is if you're not familiar with our Patreon site and the way that you can become a patron and support us, you can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L, and you can find us there with several different tier levels that you can join. But, it, you know, if you don't want to become a patron there, you can certainly um, go out and give us uh, a... Uh, star rating or a comment and everything on apple podcast or one of the other podcast apps and leave us a rating that way you can go on to facebook and leave us a rating and your comments about how much you enjoy our show you can share us with your friends and family and the people that you know about uh you know that you you appreciate our podcast and we appreciate all of those things just as much but jonathan lambert now becomes uh one of our highest patrons of the show along with stephanie lincoln of fireteam whiskey that we talk about each week and uh, the two of them uh, we really appreciate them coming at that highest level to be able to help us support us each week but that's not the only level there's several different tiers as i mentioned that you can go into and uh check out that and and uh you know whatever you tend to lean towards we certainly would appreciate all the uh, the support yeah absolutely you know and and your donations essentially your um your, your support uh really goes towards us being able to do more for for the community and really put back in and we've got some great ideas um ranging from small medium and large and you know everything we're able to do we, we we're certainly going to put the effort in and do it and uh for us to be able to do it financially is, is the key to it so anything you can um give 
jump in, sign up to a Patreon level. You get something back. We get something from it. It's a win-win situation. Yeah, and we'll continue to offer additional discounts and coupons and everything else that are only for our patron members. And we have one out there right now uh, that was given to us by one of the individuals that came on the show. And those things will continue and be uh, our way of giving back to the individuals that are supporting us on a weekly basis. So, again, you can go out to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. Cool thing about this whole podcast or this show is that, geez, man, we've known each other forever. And like we were talking about yesterday, it's been a long time. We won't talk about how long it's been, actually. (laughs) I want to get into a little bit of your background and your military career. You first came into the Army and were, was your Fort Ord your first assignment? Yes, it was. I had a a Fort Ord. It was a cohort assignment. Oh, is that what it was? It was one of the cohort. Buddy plan type of thing? Or is it the whole unit? The the whole battalion. Okay, so you go through OSIT, the whole thing. So all of Alpha Company and 119 went to Alpha Company and and Fort Ord and the Bravo Company. So everything, the whole battalion went. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. We all started on the same day and all had the same ETS dates. You didn't. You didn't, uh, well, they don't do that any longer, right? Because, uh, yeah, so that was almost like an experiment thing that they were doing in that time frame. Uh, they were taking the whole unit and, and putting them through that type of thing. So you guys knew one another. I mean, you, you get through the good and the bad and everything through basic training and through uh, OSIT. Right. So you knew who the duds were, who the good guys yeah, were. Absolutely. It wasn't like you got a chance to leave them and go find some new, fresh guys. Right. And that, later on, I was talking to our first sergeant that was at Fort Ord with us, and I asked him about how that was. And he was like, the good side of it was if you were the company commander or the first sergeant, there were no barracks lawyers and nobody could tell you because everybody knew the same thing. Yeah. Um, the downside was everybody had the same beta rank. So if there was a waiver to PFC, you know, that was a board. Um, if there was a waiver to E4, that was a board. There was no, um, like, you know, guys show up now that they're E2 privates. First guy comes up, oh, here's a PFC. You can oh, get yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... Well, so what about the uh, NCOs? I mean, they weren't your drill sergeants that then all of a sudden... No, uh, they weren't. They so were basically... Was, it was basically a stand-up... Co- uh, not a stand-up company, but they were a skeleton with just NCOs. Yeah. And uh, so you had all the platoon leaders, the XO, the co- the company commander, and the first sergeant, and the platoon sergeant. So it was all... Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like stripes then. Well, all of a sudden, the drill sergeant becomes your platoon sergeant. No. Well, <laughs> we didn't have that. But actually, when we were in basic training, uh, the NCOs came down to Fort Benning... Uh, to observe our training that we were doing okay and so they got to we got to meet the platoon sergeant and the first sergeant the company commander talked to us and so that was that was unique so yeah so the first sergeant let me see if i got this right the first sergeant the platoon sergeants platoon leaders i I mean and you know squad leaders all those types of things were all ncos that were just in a standby as kind of a, a skeletal crew of leadership Waiting for you guys to graduate OSIT and get up there. Right, because uh, the previous cohort had ended, so they had about a two- or three-month uh, break before we were to arrive. So Because everybody had the same ETS date. Yeah. So the cohort was a, it was 17 weeks, they consider, for the, the OSIT training and the travel to, to the unit, and then a three years in the, in the unit. So how long were you guys supposed to be together at Fort Ord. I mean, was there a guarantee two years, three years? Well, we did two years. Yeah. Uh, there, and then the minus the HHC, uh, the Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie all got on an airplane and went to Korea. And we were a unit over there. So our third year was in Korea. 
No lie. So we went, the guys that went from August 2nd of 1988 until September 9th of 1991, they were all in the same. Uh, all, the, same all together. Unit, all together. Oh my God. So now was it a Fort Award that you ended up going to Panama? Or was that yes. the, so that same OSIT unit that mm-hmm. you ended up going through the training and going to Fort Ord, you guys ended up going into Panama as well to fight. That's that's correct. So we we left so we all arrived um just before Thanksgiving to the unit and and one nine in Fort Ord and uh got through the holidays, did a couple of little field training, some you know, BRM, uh, marksmanship, you know, that kind of and then a couple of squad and platoon level trainings, and by May we were we went down to Panama uh, for, you know, this was when all that stuff was building up. So we went down there and they put us through the uh, jungle training. Yeah. And then uh, we went back again in uh, mid July and kind of did a perimeter security of some of the base housing, some of the schools, the DOD schools. Yeah. And uh, we did that for about six weeks, seven weeks. And then right before Christmas, we went down to went back down there. So we'd been to Panama three times in you know in one year. You weren't mechanized though at this. Time. No, this was all light infantry. Yeah, this was back. I mean, literally, I don't even think the commander had on the. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it was pack. Yeah. So were you a Charlie or did you come in Bravo? It was a Bravo. Okay, so that was an unaccompanied assignment as yes. well. Yes. You weren't married at that time frame. Yeah, I was married. Okay. And that's the other interesting piece. That was, uh, you know, the year of tours, yeah. you know, the unaccompanied. But that was also during the same time of um, Desert, Desert Storm when they put the stop loss. Nobody moved. Well, we got to stay an extra three months. The ones who reenlisted stayed a little bit longer. And then we, once they figured out where everybody was, then we were able to... Um, Oh, so you, you got the shaft, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. So DMZ? We did um, two DMZ, and then we turned it over to the, um, the Korean Army, the South Korean Army. We, we, um, we, had a, we did uh, Guard Post, Olet, uh, that's the one we had. But it was a 30-day rotation at each place. You had Warrior Base, then you had a Guard Post, and you had like a QRF. So it was rotated around. It was a 90-day mission. Yeah. And... Um, then we did that in February of maybe February of 91 and uh, finished in about early May. And then we went back up again in uh, August because that's when two of the battalions that were there decided they, they brought in the Bradleys when they were going to uh, two, two of the infantry battalions in 2nd ID were uh, designated to be mechanized. So they had to do gunneries. And all that so we picked up there and that at that point is when they started shifting because the guys that had less than six months in korea from those units came to us right. and then as new guys came in so they would have a year is that the normal rotation on the dmz because i thought there were just guys who just spent that's all they did was well there's a platoon on. that does the jsa that, that does a separate piece of that but the, at the time yeah. the battalions rotated up through there okay for whatever reason, so it was very similar then to Germany. I mean, when we had the, everybody always thinks of Berlin and the wall and stuff like that, but actually where I was in OP Alpha and Fulda, we were had just the fence, and in some cases not even that, um, that we had along the trace. And so we would go up to OP Alpha 
every once in a while, like, well, actually it was quite often. If we weren't in gunnery in an FTX, we were pretty much uh, at OP Alpha. Or we were in garrison for the strict reason of just pulling maintenance or doing something like gathering gear. Uh, it was limited amount of time. But then we'd go up and spend, you know, 30, 45 days. Uh, some of us were blessed that we're, if we were um, 1K zone, border qualified and everything, we had to spend anywhere from, you know, 45, 60 up to 90 days, especially depending upon if you had experience in tower, if you had experience on patrol or something like that. They wanted to keep you there because they didn't have as many border qualified NCOs. So, you know, we kind of got the shaft too. You know, we... Uh, it, it, well, for one thing, it passed time by yeah. up there because every day you're you're doing something, and especially when the points where we would go and do the uh, the patrols, because we would go. It was a four day rotation, so day one would kind of you know weapons maintenance, get some PTN, get you know kind of kind of a down day. Uh, at the end of that day, you receive your mission, mm-hmm. so you'd start rehearsals and everything for the day two. Go do your designated marksman uh, zero your qualifications, uh, and then day three would be your rehearsal. So we'd have a company rehearsal in the morning, and then there would be a field grade officer or the battalion uh, command sergeant major would come and do that inspection in the afternoon. You know, he'd give you everything from call for fire, uh, all, all the things you think you wouldn't do as a private or, you know, was, you couldn't just rely on the guy who was the FO. Yeah. And, uh, and then on the fourth day would be your rotation. So you might have a day, you go into a recon, you'd walk the area, and then at night you'd some at one point in the night you'd go and you would get into an ambush for two or three hours and then come back in and it'd start back over for the next. So again, when you were on those, the time did pass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now I remember those uh, time periods as well. We didn't have internet and things to keep us entertained at that point. Right. right. Or the three hours in February in Korea sitting in the <laughs> sitting in an ambush. That I was hate the to admit it, there ahead. was a lot of porn movies. I never understood those guys <laughs> being up on OPI, you know, on the border and everything. They're going to be up there for 45, 60 days, and, and that just didn't, I didn't understand that at all. It was uh, at, around that time frame, I guess, when you came back from the DMZ, like I mentioned, you came to Fort Benning, and we ended up working together at that time frame, I think um, right after Desert Storm then, or where when was it in terms of timing that you came? So I came, I got to Benning at the end of, uh, of 91, about November timeframe is when I, when I got here. Um, and at that point I, I actually thought I was going on to Kelly Hill, you know, because, right. and I didn't know why I was going there. I mean, it was 11 Bravo, but they were doing their, yeah, cause they were know, all 11 Mike. They, yeah. you know, so I missed that. And I'm sitting in the reception one day and I get a, <laughs> get a, Hey, from the in-processing people it said, hey, you need to go over to this building and see this Sergeant Major. And at that time, you only saw Sergeant Majors when your uniform when wasn't right or <laughs> you walked on this grass or, you know, so yeah. I had no idea. I didn't, I'm thinking back in my head, did I walk on grass today? Did I walk, you know? Right. Um, but it turned out it was to go over there and work at a, a, uh, the, the transition or at the um, uh, in-service recruiting. In-service recruiting. Yeah, yeah and in that time frame, it was really cool because um, – well, it wasn't great. We we had just gone through a period where we were getting slammed, you know, at that time period with, uh, you know, people that were getting off active duty and looking to go into the Reserve or Guard or just getting off active duty at that time frame. It was uh, rather large. And so we had requested some help. And so I, I went down and told the AG, I'm like, listen, if we can get some, you know, some good guys and everything that we could pick up along the way, 
Um, they asked what kind of classification, what are we looking for and everything. I was like, just make sure they're not dirt bags. You know, just get some good guys and stuff and let's, uh, let's get those guys in. And uh, we ended up getting some really through, your, I think, even part of your tour there with us. And then afterwards, uh, we ended up getting some really good guys. I mean, I got a lot of guys from Ranger Bat that um, actually had, you know, E3, E4s, uh, E5s even. I think one time I got an E6 from Ranger Bat. The guys that were just like, okay, I'm getting ready to ETS. At that point, Ranger Bat would be like, okay, you know, we're going to find you another temporary assignment or something of that nature. Um, and or... Um, they just didn't want to be in Ranger Bat anymore, and they wanted to go back to the conventional army. Well, I'd grab those guys in a heartbeat, you know, and have them come work for us and everything so that we could uh, get some pretty, you know, high-speed people. Right, and and it actually worked out good, for, like I said, in my case, because at the time I didn't know. It was definitely not the type of unit I had come from yeah. and what I had been you know, used to. But I was also coming from 15 months away from, from, from my family. Yeah. So it was a place to be where it was pretty much a Monday through Friday. Yeah, we had um, and, and uh, but it was learning the the other part of the army. You left the army at that point because I think actually it was you and I found a loophole within a regulation. We were working within uh, the AG at that time frame, and we found that there were um, different loopholes that existed within the regulation that it would allow somebody to separate much earlier than their ETS date. And all they had to do is basically put in a 4187 and quote this chapter and stuff out of the regulation. Well, something like what, that. What drove, what drove that was, I was less than one year on station. And I had to go to a levy brief because I was on assignment to Korea. Yeah. Again. Oh, I don't remember that you were on an yes. assignment to Korea So again. I, um, yeah, so that's what kind of started the, you know, hey, what's, you know, maybe I'm going to get out because I had just done 15 months. In Korea. Yeah. Now I'm not even back stateside 15 months, and I'm not even 12 months, and I'm at a levy brief to go to Korea. And so we went. Uh, I went across the, the way there, back in Soldiers Plaza, and, and, and found the ones who do assignments. And I uh, forget the chief's name, but he was a really good guy, and um, he looked at it and he said, hey, I can pr- – yeah, you haven't been here a year, and I can probably uh, take you off of this one – but you're probably going to hit the cycle and be on in another three months. Oh, it always happens that way. The first time that I came up on Germany, I got deferred. And, of course, within three months, probably not even that, of getting deferred for one year, I came up on orders again for the, you know, like one year uh, from the date of that, which would be in basically two months or three months after my deferment ended. So the Army has this unique way of making sure they get what they want, and it's not always in your terms. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. You were coming right back up on it soon enough. Right, and and then part with the uh that chapter the what it was set up was it was basically it was approved it was a secretary of the army that approves yeah. that and basically what it was is you went and got a got him got civilian employment that could that showed that you made more money than um what you were making on active duty and then they would um they would release you so i did that yeah. um and then it goes back to like reading your book later on. I wish you had that book back then because as I was reading your book that you recently wrote, you know. Oh, yeah? I'm like, yeah, I missed a lot of those gates right there. And I kind of, <laughs> I don't know, we call rush to failure. Mm. Um, and I got, I was able to get a job and, and I worked and, and, and it paid decent money. But what I realized was 
out there, they don't do four-day weekends, you know, getting 30 days paid vacation, um, you know, little things like that. As my son was getting a little bit older, starting to get into, uh, you know, youth sports, and I was looking at, I'm going to be working every Saturday, and I'm going to miss, you know. So I kind of had rethought that and looked at it and decided, you know what, maybe the Army was, maybe the Army was pretty good. And I said, and I, and I had a couple of things that, um, you know, I hadn't completed in my time that I wanted. So I still had things I wanted to do in the Army, and, uh, and that's when I came back in. Yeah. I remember when you, uh, I remember when you mentioned about coming back and, um, because I think you went down there and you got the 82nd straight from your enlistment coming back on. Right. right. Yeah. You were still in E5. So you came back in the same rank or. No, actually that time gap that I had, I actually came back in a less rank. Okay. Well, no, you left me as a. I was, e- I was E5. E5. When I left. Okay. That's right. And thought. then my time out. Yeah. Coming back in. Uh, you didn't get to retain the rank. Yeah. And so come back in as an E4, which was, you know, at that point, being out a while, it was probably good to do that because then you come back in and you, you get into the swing of things and you see things and, oh, yeah, I haven't forgotten that, but you were um, not exposed right away. And so I was like, okay, this is, I can do this. And next thing was going to the pre-ranger course. So I came in and got to the unit in June and – in August, I was in the pre-ranger course. I didn't know it was that quick. I, okay, so backing up, you and I went to airborne school, and I always thought that you went before I did, but you said you remember that I went first. Yeah. And then you went. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that, of course, being on Fort Benning, is you could get just about any assignment that you wanted. So when you went to the 82nd, you were already airborne qualified. Of course, it made sense for you to go there because you were already airborne qualified. But then to get right into pre-ranger that's pretty quick coming right off of uh, being off of active duty for a period of time, living the good life, and all of a sudden going to pre-ranger course six months later. Right. But like I said, it was back one of those things that, on that first enlistment that, you know, I didn't really get the opportunity. And, um, but I still had what was one of my goals, you know, one of the goals that you wanted to, to uh, I wanted to attain. And so literally if the whole platoon wanted to go to ranger school, the company commander wouldn't have a problem with everybody going down to pre-ranger to the pre-ranger course, taking the PT test. If you get in and you go, that's, that's great. Being ranger qualified was almost one of those passage of rights of being an NCO within the 80 seconds. Right. That's true. But their biggest thing there was the jump master. Oh, was it? that okay. was their? I always thought it was a ranger. That was, it? um, their big, their big, the, the, the older, the old school, had that mentality of that was it was the jump master okay the jump master then that i think it's still that way today and it is and it's a competition between benning and because they you know only they know they have their own airborne jump master course over there at fort bragg and then you have the one here in the army now it's all driven off the same poi it's all yeah you know the proponent is benning of that but so you went to Hawaii after 82nd, uh, but I want to dive a little bit into uh, the Ranger School because uh, we actually did another podcast on Ranger School itself and everything. But when you went through it, there was four phases. Yes. So now there, of course, there's not. The desert phase is gone. And um, But at that time frame, there was the binning phase, the, the mountain phase, the jungle phase. So, yeah, we went from Benning out to Texas, to El Paso, for, yeah. for desert, then to the mountains, 
and then down to Florida. So what did you what would you say at that time frame was the hardest one? Because I remember people telling me that it wasn't the desert phase was necessarily that difficult, but it was more of just the winds and weather and the hard ground jumping in. They almost felt like you shouldn't have to jump into um, air, I mean, ranger school because it wasn't really a requirement of ranger school itself, but that that jump would actually jack up some people and they'd have to get recycled or medical, uh, you know, recycled or whatever because they get pretty messed up between the winds and the... Right. And, and usually uh, guys are going a little banged up when they're leaving Benning from the Derby phase because you did the rap week, then you did Derby, then you go out there. So you're kind of you're going out already, kind of banged up, um, and it, each each phase was had it own, had its own uniqueness. Um, bending was challenging because you're getting into the mindset. You know, you're in the rap week. You're you know not much sleep. You're adjusting for your not getting the food. I mean, it, over time, your body adjusts to that. That's right. that's not that's not a problem. Um, and even back, going back, you know, almost 25 years, I can remember almost every day of Benning, somewhat of desert. Um, mountains was probably the challenging because it seemed like every time you were walking, you were going up. Um, and when it gets, when it's dark there, it's dark. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and by the time you got to Florida, I don't think I remember anything about that that was the last phase i think that's just a complete blur i remember they we bust down there because at the time they weren't doing the airborne operation down there because they were doing it in the during the ftx um we bust down there which was good because we got some sleep did the the initial classes the snake class i remember that because i don't really care for snakes but uh the field the ftx next thing i remember is Getting the counseling, saying, "Hey, you've graduated, or you're, you've met the, you've met the standard, and you're going to, to graduate." That's, it's about as what I remember of. Uh, Which is the thing that you are most looking forward to. Yes, <laughs> to getting that information. Right. So <laughs> you probably slept well on the bus ride home. Yes, it uh, was back to Benning, I should say. But it was, you know, like I said, it it, it was challenging. It was more challenging for yourself. You know, you're you're challenging uh, your sleep deprivation. Your um, your food but again over time your body adjusts to it yeah now one of the things that i have and i and i think was the worst time phase to go was when i went to ranger school it was like right after thanksgiving that year so we did basically binning phase and then they do the exodus where everybody all the trade out schools shut down for two and a half weeks and everybody goes on leave oh yeah so, okay, yeah. So it's great. Hey, like I got this to look forward to. But then, like your last, I don't know, week um, of leave, you're not enjoying leave because you think I got to go back to this school. Right. Where if you just went through in the mindset, yeah. so you had to re, you know, you had to adjust your mind to get back through. So I would, uh, I wouldn't recommend that time. Yeah. Well, you got the chance to eat though, right? You you did, but you know, I think during those phases, and and, and I found this out later, not to jump ahead, but as an instructor. Um, you could find the uh, what the quality of the class was going to be by the time of year. Yeah. Um, and I say that for twofold. One, you've got the weather that plays a part of that. And then you've got two. The second part is the ones who are the E5s or the E6s, the captains that are coming back through it again, 
they kind of pick their time because, well, it's going to be not hot, but it's going to be. So usually around April, after the best ra- as soon as the best ranger was over and that class was picking up, that was usually a pretty good class because you had a lot more senior uh, personnel that were going through the course. When you got to the, the winter time or the, the d- dead summertime, not so much because the seasoned guy says, I don't want to go during that time because it's going to be cold and it's going to be miserable. The ones that don't have the options are the ones that just graduated IOBC right. or I was the say PFC or the young specialist that's at that's in regiment. You know those guys. So you just don't have the experience right. of those guys. You know they're the course is the course, but as far as evaluating and grading patrols, you would see a huge difference of of that. And it's two things: one, weather and experience. Yeah, played a part of that. Yeah, so let's jump ahead because after um, Hawaii, you spent time over there. You came back to Benning at that time right. frame and. Um, th- did you get the assignment? Did you ask for, um, no, I TV? actually got a, when my three years was finished in, um, Hawaii, they, they, I got orders to go to, uh, the Ranger training brigade. So at the time I didn't know where. Yeah. So you didn't know fourth, I, fifth, I, what? I, yeah. I didn't know which one it was. Well, first off, was the experience different in terms of, um, what you, you saw as a student and what they were now teaching POI wise, was it different? Uh, because, I mean, you know, I, what I've heard a lot, especially in the um, older ranger school, is that it wasn't necessarily um, – it was set more in a Cold War era. So there was a little bit of a, a difference into how ranger school may be today as it was definitely back then, and that this is more closer to being like the combat leadership course, and it wasn't so much back then. So what do you – when I say something like that or people say that, what, what does that – well, How do you react to that? The, as soon as I am processed, one of the first places I went to was to have a, a sit-down with the brigade sergeant major. And he tells you his expectations of, of what he expects as a ranger instructor. And one of the things that he said to me was, ranger school is not, it's not like when you went through. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, so he's like, no, we're here now. You know, there was a time... When And again, this is his opinion, but he said there was a time when people came to the school, if they graduated, they graduated, if they didn't, they didn't, didn't matter. Now it's more of a learning phase, uh, meaning they're there, you're, you're there to teach them. Um, I don't know, again, as a, you know, as a specialist going through there, I can't say that I saw where he was coming from as I come back as a staff sergeant and I was a... Um, but what I, you know, I think it comes to the individual leader that's grading that patrol. Yeah. You know, there's, that's the individual. Some, you know, you walk, you walk them all day and all night and you put them in a patrol base. Um, some have already never go back down and check the patrol base to see if it's right because that's what it is. Um, and again, they're great. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with that because they're doing it within their. Uh, Just don't meet their requirements. They're meeting their requirements. There's some that will then go down there and check on the patrol base, even though the grade is the grade. They've already got it, but they would adjust it to get it right for the incoming RIs, for whoever the, the student leadership was the next day would be set up for success. Um, and so I remember walking some days and knowing when I came in and looking who I was replacing as, an, as the instructor – I knew what my day was going to look like because I was either one going to go down there and things were going to be uh, taken care of, i.e. they've had the layout, they've 
accountability, the patrol bait, you know, they've got the security, they've got everything set up, and we can go right into receiving the mission. Or I would have to go down there, and it's going to take two hours to get them right, to get it before we start with the next thing. So you kind of learn things along the way of yeah. of what's what. And you find, you know, again, not to get stuck on that course, but I saw things in there that um, things were subjective. You know, what's a go? What's a no-go? Is it not the class was taught like this, so this is how they should execute it? My thing would be, well, you had six months to get certified to teach this course. That guy got the class at 2200 at night, and he's been up the whole – I don't think he retained that much for you to expect his warning order to be like yours or his bay planning to be like yours. You know, you got to take it to – did he meet? Does he have – the five W's, does he, you know, is the actions on, is it detailed, is it, you know, good enough for the next guy to take it, you know, that's. Yeah. So that, that was, that was challenging. That was one of the things I didn't. Now, what I did like to do was they had a day down there as an instructor was before they started to the graded patrols, they'd have one day that they did a cadre led patrol. And so you'd go out there, and the, the RI would do his warning order board. He would do his op order. He would do – and then you'd get the squad, and you would take them as you were the um, squad leader for them. Mm-hmm. And you would take them through, and you could, you know, explain to them. So you're instructor, then you're the squad leader. Then you're instructor. So you go through there, and it's that's about a 20-hour day. <laughs> that's a long day, but um, I – the ones that are our first sergeant that that selected to do that, you would find that it set those student grades up. It, you know what I mean? It was it was a better success. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what the sergeant major was getting at is, you know, you're still there teaching, you're instilling, you're, you know, that way if they leave the course and they didn't graduate, they still are taking something away from ranger school knowledge-wise. yeah. Do you think that was uh, a change within the instruction then after you've been there for a little while? Or do you think that was just because of the command and the cultural change that caused that to, to happen? Well, I, I think it, everything is driven by the, the chain of command. I mean, you've got the ones that want to make things better, and then you've got some that I have to change something because I can't do what the last guy did. Mm-hmm. So I think it the chain of command definitely had a big play of that. Yeah. Now you end up making E7 ball there. Yes. So it wasn't too long after this then that you decided, okay, I'm getting at my 10 year mark. I've got to make a decision here. Am I going to go OCS or am I going to stay enlisted? I take it. Right. That's that was. Yeah. And that, and that, that was a tough decision. Like I, I pondered on that for, for, a, for a long time. Yeah. Well, I bet you did like anybody would, especially who comes up through being an enlisted soldier. But at the end of the day, I mean, we both, uh, I went the enlisted route, retired. You went the officer route and retired. There's a big difference in paycheck in terms of our retirement. Well, that's true. But one of the things that I looked at was I'm looking at this lieutenant and I'm looking at this captain. They're not any different than me. And matter of fact, I think I'm I can do a better job than they're doing. Well, you think about it. Most of those lieutenants and captains have only been in the Army less than six years. And so, yeah, absolutely. If you're an E6 or an E7 with nine, ten years on active duty, not only have you experienced a whole lot more in terms of longevity and and stuff like that, but experience-wise, because you're 
we're going to be with the troops a whole lot more than the uh, the officers will. There's a lot different career path that goes into being an officer than there is to being an enlisted. And um, so, yeah, they, they didn't have probably one-tenth of the level right. of experience. The other thing was that I contemplated, and this is only for a short time because you're not a lieutenant forever, and you're, you know, you're not a platoon leader forever. But one of the things that I contemplated was that was as a platoon sergeant, you know, I could go knock on the company commander's door and say, hey, sir, I think we need to do it this way, and this is why. And he probably would sit back and take in what you said. And same guy puts the second lieutenant rank on a little bit with the same experience. He is yeah. the, but it goes in there and says, hey, sir, I think we should do it this way, and this is why. Yeah, lieutenant, turn around and get out there. And, you know, yeah. What are you doing in my office? It, yeah, yeah. It, it is a difference, you know. So how was it then being that early officer, but knowing that, you know, you're that former enlisted guy, did, did you really find having served both ways? So as an enlisted guy, you know, I mean, we would look at it as if you saw a guy that based on his, you know, his chest and the things that he's done and, you know, what's on his sleeve and everything else, you'd automatically know, okay, this guy was prior enlisted. You could just tell, you know, especially mm-hmm. if they had NCOPD, you know, ribbons and stuff that, you know, professional development, non-commissioned officer, professional development ribbons. And you'd see that on there. You instantly knew, okay, this guy was a former enlisted, went to, you know, PODC at that time frame or PNOC or BNOC or ENOC. And, uh, and in your case, I'm assuming you went all the way at least to BNOC. Uh, through ANOC. Through ANOC, yeah. yeah. So you were at the advanced course, which I don't, I can't remember what it's called today. They got a senior, senior leader course. leader's course. Or, yeah, yeah something. Anyway, uh, you, you were at the, you know, the, what used to be called the advanced non-commissioned officer course. So I would think that you were more respected by the enlisted side, but I'm curious to know how that changed against your peers now on the officer's side. Okay. And, and did you really feel you were respected more by the enlisted? Because so, I would have thought you would have been. So I was spoiled in that aspect of that. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because my first unit that I went to as a platoon leader, all three platoons, to include our XO, were all prior service E7s. That oh, ranger get out had, of here. Had either been a ranger instructor and or served in the regiment and or, you know, drill. So... Our company commander would sit back and say, you know what, I have the easiest job well, yeah. in the world. Like, you know, he had his prior to that, he was a IOBC instructor. And he's like, you get 42, you know, second lieutenants that come from all different walks of life. Some came from these ROTC programs. Some came from the West Point. Some came from, you know, they all came from a different background. And you've got 16 weeks to try to get them to do things. And he's like, now I feel, you know, fast forward my next assignment, I'm a company commander. But when I talk to you guys, I'm truly like developing you for not how to run a platoon, but how to, you know, be a commission officer at the next level. Yeah. And so and and my platoon sergeant that I had when I went there, we were actually E4s in the 82nd. Together, so we had already known each other for a while. So, once we got there, and once once that platoon saw how uh, tight and how close we were, it, it, it changed the whole dynamics. Because oh heck yeah, you're not playing platoon sergeant against PL. You're not. They knew it was one team, and there was no. Uh, you know, they were going to conform, and they were going to do. So that was. So was that third ID? Yes. Okay. 
so at that time frame, I think it switched to Third ID. It was Twenty Fourth Infantry Brigade, right. or no? Was that right? No. What was the name of it them? One ninety seven. One ninety seventh. Yeah. And then it was Twenty uh, Fourth, which was part of same concept. It was part. It was a uh, brigade from from Savannah, and then um, or from Fort Stewart, and then it went. Then they were. Uh, third brigade of third id now at that time just before that happened um they went away with 11 mics so they started switching 11 bravos could go to these units everybody was basically if you were 11 bravo or you were 11 charlie but again it was a it was a great uh learning experience and um you know i enjoyed well, that would Every single day. Well, I would too. Does that, that sound like that would have been like the blessing of a unit to be a part of? I mean, you know who your platoon sergeant is. You know what his capability is. You know how he's going to train the men. That's great for you. Turn around. You got the company commander who's your leader who knows he doesn't have to do the day to day policing of, you know, second lieutenants and right. trying to nurture them. Not to mention, I'm sure your XO, I guess, was also former <laughs> enlisted. So, I mean, he had a gravy train. Uh, job that he could just do more of mentoring and uh, so it probably was the best assignment I would take it that you probably had within the military or it, it, it was it was a very enjoyable because like I said it you know again it goes by the chain of command you know the, yeah. the chain of command that I had there was was phenomenal um, you know they did a good job of selecting the right people for the right jobs and what was the biggest thing that you learned there though you know with your first assignment as an as an officer what was the biggest takeaway or aha moment that you had there you have to let people you have to let people fail too you can't give them all the answers um and and one of the one of those things was we were going to ntc and the the bad thing that used that was at one time in uh probably the most mechanized in the mechanized world um everything is around a gunnery and i know at the time, um, 3rd Brigade, you know, a guy wants to go to airborne school or they want to go to a school, well, hey, you can go, but, you know, you're the gunner and we're doing this gunnery. And so after gunnery, then you can go. Well, those things keep dragging out because you're constantly doing gunneries, you know, because driver changes or uh, the section leader gets promoted. They got a new guy. So now you got an unqualified crew. So you got to go out there and cause it's all about being qualified crews. Right. Um, I'm familiar with that from the armor side of it. That was so what it, it was about. Yeah. It's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, now you got guys that are coming. They're not 11 Mike. So that was their platform was is 11 Mike. Your platform was, you know, before the Bradley, it was, it was a one, one, three, one, one, three. And then you got the Bradleys and then, you know, so that was their platform. That's all they, that's all they did. Unless they went to go be a, a recruiter or, or a drill sergeant, yeah. there was there was nothing beyond door number one and door number two. It pretty much became where infantry was more like armor in that regard. It was just a different set of weaponry. But when you think about it, the Bradley, um, the way they treated the mechanized infantry was very much like armor. Right. And you had to break that cycle because these guys are now 11 Bravos. Mm -hmm. So their next assignment could be the 82nd it could be the 101st it could be so school certain schools that didn't fit the mold of at the time uh for that unit you're still developing soldiers you're still developing leaders you're still you know given so I, I that was one of the things me and that platoon sergeant we were like wait a minute i'm not if the guy wants to go to ranger school and he's met all the gates and he's met all that then absolutely we'll next guy up mentality that we'll figure it out so we had 
a section leader. He was a staff sergeant, and something came up, and he wasn't going to be able to go to NTC with us. And everybody was like, oh, it's the end of the world. He's a, he's a crewman. He's this. And we had a, a young E5, and he was a pretty sharp kid. And so I told him that day, I'm like, hey, you know what? You're the section leader, and we're getting ready to go to NTC. And he was like, you know, kind of like, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, we're going to go find out. I don't know if I can be a PL. This is my first time going as a lieutenant. <laughs> we're going to we're going to go and we're going to do some bad stuff. We're going to do some good stuff, and we're going to leave there. And they're going to tell you this is the greatest unit that ever come through here. But at the same time, you're going to do your own self learning. So when you come back, and if you did a great job, then you're going to be knocking on the platoon sergeant's door, wanting to know why he's not sending you be to the to the E6 board. Yeah. And if you don't do well, then you don't have to ask him why you're not going. So it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's we're going to go learn. It's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, after this assignment, is that when you became XO at uh, RTB? You went no. Back? So I went, I was, um, after this assignment, um, which was kind of, so that's the other downside to this is, um, it's not a downside. It was actually good for me because, a lieutenant out of ROTC or out of West Point, he goes to uh, IOBC. From IOBC, he goes to Ranger School. And then if he's going to the mechanized unit, he's got another six weeks of the Bradley Leader, Bradley Leader course. His time, you know, from commission to platoon leader, you know, he might have already nine months, could already gone by. Maybe right. ten months. So, just a couple school. months later, you know, yeah. he's pinning on first lieutenant. Yeah. Oh, your first lieutenant. Hey, you got to go over here and and be the XO, or you got to go to this. Well, I came out of IOBC. <laughs> hey, second lieutenant, let's go. So I got, you know, the whole time, um, I got to, you know, nobody was pushing me to leave the platoon leader because I'm still a second lieutenant. That's what second lieutenants do. Right. Um, but I remember a couple of our guys got there much later than I did, and they were having promotion ceremonies, and and these guys are getting promoted to first lieutenant. And I remember the soldiers in the platoon are turning the back, look at the formation, looking at me like, so, <laughs> "What are you doing?" Like it's all on time, man. It doesn't it's not like it's, it's all about the number of months. So, but um, you know, I didn't complain because I, you know, I was having fun, and I knew once I left that, uh, you know, you don't have fun again until you're. A company commander as far as leading leading troops you know well getting back to the first question because i want to make sure before we move on oh so after i left there i yeah. i ended up um well no i want to get to how did how did the, your enlisted troops see you as being this former enlisted is it as you and i would have perceived an officer at that time frame that was former enlisted or did now that you're on the other side of it how did you actually see that yes it's Yes. Okay. So there's two. There's a thing to this, and then I was going to get to that talk. But so IOBC, when you're in the schoolhouse, and they know who's prior service and who's not, and so you're the prior service guy is above the bar is way higher of knowledge, of experience, and all that. Oh sure. Of of the a fresh guy of fresh, ROTC or right? whatever. Yeah. So as a platoon leader, that guy's fresh because he's already been in the platoon. He's already probably been. You know, at a minimum, he's been a team leader or a squad leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows all platoon tactics um, where this guy is learning all the things. Um, you got the schoolhouse, but then there's, you know, the the regular the, the army. Um, where I saw that it, where the lines met was at the career course, at the captain's career course. Mm. 
that's when everything got back out to a level playing field because at this time, now you're taking what you learned as a lieutenant, as an XO or a specialty platoon, an assistant S3, the three, you know, doing something like that. Now you all have the same yeah, you you have the same background at the battalion level thing. But you're talking to your peers, peers. Yeah. yeah. So the the enlisted side, the enlisted they I think they look at that and and they they see they see you differently. Yeah, they they do because you know the Marines I think they call them Mustangs or something. But I I mean it was basically it was a term I think that was even given back in what, what, World War Two or something like that of enlisted soldiers that were basically fracked on the battlefield becoming an officer or something, but. Um, yeah, I, I always saw those guys again that I that were former enlisted and um, now were officers. I always saw them as just being the better leader, regardless of whether it was at least an, a first impression that I would have. I think the first impression was that, and then yeah. they their expectations is higher. Well, yeah, yeah, of you, yeah, and then from there, they're going to make that opinion of right of that right. Uh, and I think it kind of goes to people who end up going to say ranger school or some kind of, you know, special course like that, where they end up holding those individuals that have those tabs to higher standards, because, um, you, you should be able to handle certain things because you're wearing that tab, you right. know? Right. So it's very much the same thing, you know? Okay. I, I, and I guess I could see that too. I'd probably hold you to a certain standard in my mind. I'd appreciate the fact that you're enlisted, but I want to see it in action now too. I want to mm-hmm. see you actually... Are you still trying to be an NCO and get in my business? That's that's the other thing. Now you gotta yeah. you gotta stay away. You're not you're gonna know your soldiers, but you also have to let them develop. Yeah, you can't do it for them because it's the easiest thing to do. I can see that would be really hard as being a freshly you know. I mean, you were an E seven, you were a platoon sergeant, and everything. So if anything, you want to play that role at times, and you want to step in and go, no, 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 you, you don't want to do it this. But like you said, the biggest thing you can do is to allow them to fail. Right, and now there were there was closed door meetings. There was <laughs> there sure. was closed doors after hours or however you want to look at. It. There were there was yeah. there were talks like, hey, that was not the way we do it. Like, um, and we you know have like that. But but I think they I think the platoon sergeant, um, I think they appreciated it. Yeah. Um, maybe not at first because they're I don't know they're thinking okay this guy's going to try to do my job yeah what where did you go after third id then so i just when i did the degree completion because you had to have your degree prior to getting promoted to uh i don't think you can do that now either no now you have to have a a, you have to have your bachelor's back then you only had to have 60 semester it was 90 semester 90 90 semester hours that you had to have okay and then you had to have degree completion within two years right so when they first started it they were letting guys go from iobc to degree completion, and then they would get in there, and then they would go be a platoon leader. Um, then as I went through a couple years later, they were doing it where you go to be a platoon leader. Because this is now, now the deployments are picking up. And uh, and that was one of my one of my things was, you know, going, going on another deployment, and you know, the Army decided, hey, wait a minute, we can't keep up with this. So they were given waivers for that. So if you were deployed, you could get a waiver. And I had an XO, and he was uh, battalion XO, very, very knowledgeable, very, very solid, solid guy. And um, we went to talk to him because when I was after my platoon leader time was done, I was going to be the scout platoon leader. And then he brought up to our battalion commander, "Hey, sir, you know you've got about seventy percent of your 
lieutenants are OCS guys and they need to do degree completion. So we had a formation and battalion commander said, how many of you guys are OCS that don't have a degree? You know, people raise their hand. All right, you fall out over here. And then we went to see the XO, and the XO determined who's going to extend to get it later or who was going to go do it now. So when I went to him, I was like, well, hey, I want to, I still want this job over here. I can do some online courses. I can do some. And his, his thing was, well, no. He's like, we're going to be doing these operations for years to come there's no end in sight you're going to get multiple <laughs> well, deployments he was right by that yeah, yeah absolutely he was like a little fortune teller yeah. <laughs> and this was in you know <laughs> early 2003 he was like yeah but he was like yeah you're going to get you're going to get plenty yeah and so you need to go get your degree now and so i did hesitantly i but i did so i got my degree and branch tells me Hey, we're not going to PCS you. Cause, so what they do is wherever school you're going to, yeah. they send you to, th- to that region. Yeah, so you're at Benning at this point. But you're assigned to a closet at Fort Jackson. Basically, there's a room of files. And there's like one training room, NCO, and like some Mr. Smith guy that, uh, you know, <laughs> works there. And all they do is you, f- at that time, you know, you fax. So you fax them all your stuff. And they put you in their system. And then they send you an email that says, hey, um, yeah, you need to take a PT test. And you're due for a weapons qual. You're, so then you have to go find somebody on Fort Benning. Yeah, that'll allow you that, to do that'll, that. Yeah. That'll let you do that. Um, but then you tell them, hey, I'm done. And then they put you on assignment. So I called a branch guy. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm not going to PCS you because you're coming up on need to go to the career course. And so I'm not going to PCS you so you come back. Because actually, um, the career course is a uh, PCS move. So basically, I PCS after 3rd Brigade of 3ID to, to Stewart, I mean to um, Jackson. And then I PCS from Jackson. So they still counted that a PCS. Because On paper, it's a PCS. Okay. So just, they, it was just no travel involved. Sure, but so they're they're basically PCSing you back to Benning, which you'll be there anyway for the career uh, course. Right. Okay. So I basically just drove. But from you never left. Exit ten. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but so the crazy part is, I actually had to completely out process Fort Benning to go be assigned at uh, Fort Jackson, and then I had to go back to Fort Benning and go back through the entire process. I get done with IOBC and I've got to go to the the career, uh, to the, Bra- the Bradley Leader course. And there's a eight week gap. And so usually they get, you see the lieutenants with Rogar vests on and they're raking dirt and stuff like that. Yeah. We had an LNO that was like, Hey, you know, Lieutenant, you can go out and find you a job. And so, I knew I still knew people from out there, and so that's when I went out there and said, "Hey, can I?" Yeah, you need a lieutenant. I'm available. I can do this. So I did. I did that. What I found with that is exactly when I left there, it hadn't changed. Meaning, you have platoon trainers and you have those guys, but they're not instructors, and they want to be instructors. And it's like you, you got to let the it's as Talking about it's, the officers. It's like yeah. you gotta let the let the NCOs 
They're the instructors. They, yeah. You know, it's like you don't want a, a lieutenant drill sergeant and you don't want a captain drill sergeant. It's it's their job. It's what they do. But but they you're leading a command that's basically nothing but NCOs, right? Right. I and mean, it should be almost like the third ID level in some ways, but <laughs> you're shaking your head. No. no, no, it's not that way. You would think in a unit like that it would yeah. be, but it's not. You would have guys, hey, call them up. Hey, we got PT. Yeah, well, I can't find my dog. Okay, well, when you find your dog, you need to come to work. So this is fourth RTB. Yeah, these are like cadre. You know, three days later, hey man, you got. I told you I can't find my dog. <laughs> That's what, you know. It's like true story. Um, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so he was basically just out of pocket. For three or four days. Yeah, looking for his dog. Looking for his dog, and that was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes, what about, his, what about the trainees that were going through? Uh, well, Rangers well, this was in like in between the breaks. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you know what I, I found? Okay what I found is you know even going back to B knock and A knock and you know that kind of environment is the worst group of privates is a group of NCOs. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know it's like. Um, so when I came back to Benning after the degree completion and I in processed, um, the captain's list hasn't come out yet. So I'm technically, I'm signing into Benning as just a first lieutenant. Well, you have to be a first lieutenant promotable to be able to go to the uh, captain's career course. Mm-hmm. So and it's coming out anytime. I know that I know it's coming out anytime. Well, while I'm in processing, it doesn't come out. So they assigned me to Sand Hill up to a, a a trainee. And so I go up there and I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do up here. I mean, it's like drill sergeants, this is this. And, and so um, meet the brigade commander and he's like, where are you coming from? Told him. And he's like, oh, so you've been getting over for a while. I'm like, well, sometimes you're getting over and sometimes you're not getting over. And uh, he said, well, do you want to be here? I was like, well, not really, not really, sir. <laughs> I'd rather be, you know, back on the other hill leading troops. And he's like, perfect. Hey, I'm going to make you a company commander, and you're going to go down to this unit yeah. over here. <laughs> and so, so now you then he done. then he tells me, oh, by the way, congratulations, uh, you're, you know, you're a first lieutenant promotable, like literally the day. Oh, so my God. I went over there and um, met the battalion commander. And he had a lot of energy, and he was he was phenomenal. And um, but he, now you're almost in the same boat because now you're not just uh, in charge of NCOs, but the trainees as well. Right. So you have you have the OSIT, which is the infantry guys. At this time, they didn't have the armor here, so it was still the infantry. So you have the th- you know 14 week OSIT training that are done there. So you also had a basic. Um, the BCTB, which these are the guys that come do the nine weeks uh, basic training and then they ship off to an AIT. So you're getting the 68 whiskeys and all the all the ones that don't have a OSIT. Along with, you would get OCS, guys coming off the street that had their degrees, that did their board. They would call them the, what they called the college op. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we would get, and part of before they went to OCS, they had to do nine weeks of, of basic training. That way when one didn't meet it, he could still go instead of be a go to OCS and be a lieutenant. We could enlisted. send yeah. him over there to be AIT, and he can try again 
at a later date. Um, but the battalion commander over there was like, hey, you're going to get all the OCS candidates. So when those classes would come through, that's what our company would, would get. And he left it up. If you if they don't think they're right or they think they need some more training, you know, it's all, you know, you 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 determine. Um, but one thing I found out there was you could even though you had a POI, you had to drive, you had to do these these training events. They didn't really tell you how you could do the training events. So whatever you could you know, develop. If you do an FTX, however you want to set that FTX up and however you oh, really? want to meet. So that could vary then depending upon the company or the battalion that you're attached to within the right. OSIT. Right. Now with that, now you got to get the mentality of the drill sergeant because this is how we always do it mentality versus now we're, well, we're going to do it different. Now we're going to do it. Um, so I kind of upset him one day. I, we were in a cycle break before we picked up a class and I, linked up with one of the ranger instructors that teaches the certain classes over there. <clears throat> and we had a leader development day at Camp Rogers and they got to go do the formations, order of movement. They got to do, you know, all the battle drills. These are your drill sergeants. All the drill sergeants. Yeah. And and they weren't happy. But it was like, well, this is how we're going to do it. This is this is when we go to the field, you you're gonna you're going to teach them how to do it. You're going to demonstrate that you could do this. Yeah. And um, now, were all your drills? Um, because I think now they've kind of integrated a little bit more. Were all those? No. There were I, had, I had like one per platoon. Was was an infantry? Get out. So and so I had the hot spot. So and that was another thing we had. So some of these guys would be like, you know, hey, we got this fifty cal. Or the two four nine range or the, the two forty range. We're going to do this, so we we would draw the weapons from the weapons pool. We'd have them in our arms room for the day prior to going to that range. I would want the drill sergeants out there giving them a hands on class of you know how to dis how to disassemble, assemble, you know functions check, show them all the parts of that. Yeah, and and their mentality to me would be well, well sir, we're not infantry. I'm like, but neither are any of those privates out there that are going to do the training tomorrow. So and you're going to teach them. So the, yeah. you know, you guys, the idea, you know, go to the, you go back to your unit and you see privates coming. You're like, oh man, well, this is your chance to fix a very small amount, but you, you're probably going to run back into this guy somewhere down the road. And yeah. if he's messed up, that probably started with you. with you. Yeah. And this is your chance. What year is this? This was uh, 2005. Yeah, so 2005. Now, you think about that now. If that's that culture and that attitude, they just happen to bump into you at that school. So at that particular time, in that particular unit, and under your command, nobody else there had to do those types of things. None of the other drill sergeants that were under a different command were going through that same type of training you know, and um, when I went through OSIT, it was a an armor uh, drill sergeant. You know, they, they all came. <laughs> when you went through that, these drill instructors would want to be more inclined to be the Camp Rogers type of drill instructor to um, infuse that type of knowledge into those young individuals so that they understand the importance of paying attention and learning within this OSIT training because you're not going to be in a training environment when you leave here. It's the real thing. Right. And now it goes back to when it was like the, the 50 cal range and the 240 rate. You know, those are mounted, those are mounted weapons. They're on vehicles. It's very important that these privates learn how to do that. They might not go and be a 50 cal or a 240 gunner at their unit, 
But when something goes bad and they have to jump up in the turret, they, they need to know how to, how to do it. That's right. We owe it to them for that. Yeah. And um, met a little resistance, um, but but it was a. I think at the end, um, it was both a rewarding assignment, um, especially going into something and having an opinion of something. Yeah. Because this is the time when soldiers were joining all different backgrounds. You know, some had master's degrees, some had GEDs, um, some the SFAB was lowered enough now that they could get. I mean, you name it, they had a reason that they were coming in. Um, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of them came in because, you know, it was after 9-11 and these guys were wanting to join and they were wanting to be a part of something. Um, and so I would talk to those guys before the, you know, in the beginning of the course and be like, you know, how many of you guys, raise your hand if, if your parents and or your wife, you know, supported your joining the military. And there wasn't many. Really? And, but you could see in just that short nine week period the transformation of how a guy walked, got off that bus and how he marched on the parade field. And when the families came to see, it was like, Oh yeah. That they short time, it. I mean, it yeah. was, it changed. Now you get it up. All of those guys coming in. Well, you know, again, sometimes, you know, a recruiter doesn't know something unless you tell him, you know, I think, you know, they're kind of the pressure is on them. Uh, they don't want to, you know, most, most recruiters that are on there for their first time are not really, very few volunteered for it. Um, they're out there. They're not appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're the guy that's out there in that non-military town that's trying to recruit people. And by the way, we've got, you know, the, this is when it was, you know, the conflicts were still in the news. Yeah. You know, nightly news was Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, everything was on. So now you're trying to convince those guys. Um, and you had to be careful with that because as you got in there, to you only have nine weeks to train them. But you don't know what you're getting, i.e. you don't know what kind of medications they stopped taking prior to coming into the military. Yeah. So <laughs> the crazy part about that, we had one guy. He was an OCS. He was an OCS candidate. And he was a 300-plus. I mean, he was an extended scale in basic training. I mean, he was phenomenal shape. Um, he was, you know, 39 out of 40 for, you know, BRM. And just top candidate to be, you know, one of the, the leader, the, the, the honor graduate of the course. We finished up all our training. All we're doing is cleaning TA-50 and cleaning weapons and just, you know, prepping, getting ready for graduation. And he drops over at 28 years old has a heart attack in the company training area. And turns out they, we were able to rush him and get him there, get him to you know the hospital, have an ICU, go up there and see him. I'm like, man, you know, what's going on? And he was like, well, I stopped taking my heart medicine because I couldn't take it while I was in the Army. And I wanted to be in the Army, so they told me to stop taking I'm like, well, who, who told you to stop taking oh, it? You know, no, that's not, man. That's so. That's not right. I mean, we, 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 you know, he was lucky. Yeah, no, he was. I thought you were talking about just like uh, other types of medication, you know, crazy, like, you know, people. Well, I think sometimes I convinced, I wasn't convinced that the recruiter wasn't down at the little place where they get discharged and, hey, you know, because, you know, we had some of those too. And, um, yeah. 
But wow. it, it's it, again of all of those things we talked about there at the at the end of that tour. That that was it. It was rewarding. That was it was good to see. Yeah. Now you you left there and ended up taking over a command again as a company commander. Yes. And actually. Did you not receive your company command while in uh, Afghanistan? No, no, no. This I I I um, took command. I went back to after. Uh, so once I left um, basic training, I went on a uh, YS tasking to to Iraq, and I worked up at the Strategic Operations Center, the MNFI, and. Um, <clears throat> Again, big army joint. You get to see, um, you know, my entire time at the in the military was, you know, there was one brigade, there was one colonel in the area. He was the head guy. Um, now I'm on, I'm in a room where there's about sixty five. You know, and they're just a guy. You know, what I mean? yeah, it, yeah. It's different to see. And and seeing all the all the general officers that are there and, and doing, I mean, it was it was um, again that was that was a good assignment and um, did my tour there. When I came back, that's when I went to the career course. Okay. Once I left the career course, then I went to um, um, back up to Third Brigade and was a commander. So, so that's the time frame that. You and they, they had just come back. And I, so it was like one of those, they just came back and then that's when I took over and then was there. I actually did like 24 months there as a company commander. How many deployments did you end up doing? So it was two, three, four. Four deployments. And then, of course, you went over there after service as a contractor as well right. on top of that. So you ended up getting assigned into a pretty, I think it's kind of interesting assignment in terms of D.C. Maybe tell us a little bit about what your role was there. Okay, so this is one of those times that's coming up, and I know that I'm coming up on the cycle to rotate to the, you know to go to a different organization. So I call up Branton to see what's what's available, and he sends me this sheet with thirty something assignments, and I got to rank them one through thirty four, and. But the first two, or within the first five, you had to pick either a JRTC or an NTC, and you had to pick a YS tasking. And I was like, okay, you know what? If I've got to go somewhere, I'll I'll deploy. I'll go to, you know, I'll go to Afghanistan. Send them all in there, and he comes back and says, no, you didn't meet the criteria for the YS because of your dwell time. You've already, we've got people pegged for that. Okay. So there was an assignment over in Italy. Vincenza. Vincenza. And I was yeah. like, what about this one? And he was like, hey, you know what? You actually meet that because you've been on the mechanized side. You're due for a light rotation. You've already got the jump master. It's like, actually, it's a perfect fit. Send me the 4187. Tell me that you want that. We'll take care of that. So I said, <laughs> about a week. Maybe two weeks later, uh, he calls me back and says, hey, I got some bad news. I'm like, what's that? He goes, that uh, assignment was, was was by by name request. He's like, and we didn't even have this person on for to rotate. Get out of here. So I'm like, okay, so that's the second time I've missed out on Italy um, for similar reasons of that. 
I said, okay, so all these other ones, by this time, they're all taken. I said, well, how about this AFPAC hand? This is Afghanistan, Pakistan, cultural. He's like, well, I really don't know a whole lot about that. He said, but I got some PowerPoint slides. I'll email them to you. I have no idea what this is, you know. So I get it and look at it. So basically it was one of those things that you go either to um, McDill or you go up to um, the capital region. And they send you to cultural awareness courses and language school. And then you do a, <clears throat> then you do a, a deployment to um, Afghanistan. And then you come back and then you kind of go lessons learned. You do the, basically if you need a school or if you need something, you can take care of that. And then you do another, so you do two deployments. Yeah. Now, this time you're a major? Yes. So and, and everything this is kind of pipeline too, right? Also to like lieutenant colonel and stuff like that. Well, is- the, the, the problem that I had was I finished up, I, I was ahead of like most people get promoted to a major and then they go to CGSC. It's not, it's called ILE now. Yeah. And then you get done from there. Then you go be a battalion three or a battalion XO and all that. Well, I was fortunate when I got promoted to major battalion commander always said, Hey, you know what? I need a, I need a three. So I kind of stayed there and did some threes time. I had three time. I had XO time. So I, I was on the backwards slide of this. Yeah. So I still had, you know, many years. I said several years before I was even in the zone for right Lieutenant Col- Yeah. I knew that my my timeline of my career was was coming to and was coming to the end. Um, there would be a few PCSs, and I got to, you know, the family settled. My wife has a job. To to up in PCS to go somewhere for two years, yeah. Then I can re- you know yeah. It was going to be at least two more PCSs. And how many years did you have in at this point? And at this point, as we were, as I'm talking about this, this was getting to be around the 26 year, just short of 26 years. Wow. So I knew it was you know it was coming down. So then I took the. Um, I, call, I called him back and said, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll take this. I'm, I'm going blind. I have no idea what it sounds good, briefs well. Um, but then should have known all this time in the military that something that's <laughs> it's not what it's piped up to be. Um, but I did meet some good people up there, you know, basically worked for the chief of staff of the Army in his little uh, op center. Um, you get to see everything that goes on in the Army on a daily basis from – you know, from a uh, car wreck to I mean, just any type of blotter report to, to, to missions that are happening in Afghanistan. So these blotter reports go all the way up there. Depends on the type of it. Most of them go now, they would come up, but you know, only certain ones met his, Oh yeah. Wow. You know, criteria. Um, so you get to see what's, what's going on. You can see, Oh man, Fort Hood had a bad day or, you know, you just could see all that. And you get to see the meetings. You get to see how things are managed at that level. Um, then we then I did the deployment. When I got to the de- deployment, it was not what it was um, hyped up to be. Because you go, and they have a person that's an AFPAC hand. So it's, the AFPAC hand is a 
all forces. It's the Army, Navy, Air Force. It's Marine. It's all, all of them. What's your responsibility? So you, the intent of this thing was yeah, to be. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. That you are like a culture advisor for units. So okay. you're helping them. You go and you end up working for a guy that you basically, you know, depending on what his experience is in, in Afghanistan or even Iraq, you're his staff. And that's not what it's, I'm not, the, I'm not your staff. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing PowerPoint slides for you on how we're going to make this country better. I'm going to, you know, I'm supposed to tell you how, how to, what you did, you know, how to better engage with your counterpart counterpart, yeah. and what you can expect from him. And when he does this, this is what he's, he's either in tune with you or he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to hear that. You know, they got their way. They're going to fix it. They, they know what's wrong with it. They've been watching it and they're going to come fix it and they're going to do it in their nine months. They're going to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. We know how that turns out. Right. So I did that. And then, um, at that point, it was like, you know what? Nah, I'm done. That's when that's when I was like, and, and I had a, and I had a a guy tell it was a sergeant major years back. He was telling me he was like, you know, you know when you're done. Yeah. And when you're done, he said, I knew I was done, and I retired, and I haven't looked back. I miss my I miss times in the army, right? But I don't miss the army. I right. don't, you know. And he said, "You know," and he's and and I knew what you know. He's like, "One day you're gonna wake up and you're gonna know." And it wasn't nothing bad happened. It wasn't like sure. a you know a argument or a disagreement or it, it was just just not. Yeah. Well, you know, you start recognizing that certainly as long as you've been in that things have changed and moved on. And it's time for you to let it just kind of go because uh, you can't you can't impact it yourself. You know, you realize that you can only make a dent, but you can't change the entire of the army. The right. army is the army. Right. And it's going to keep driving on with or without you. And I've been around long enough to know if I didn't like something yesterday, I'm not going to like it today. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, and that know, doesn't matter what branch you're in. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, it, and so... I, uh, that's when I came back and I transitioned and, and, and retired. And, you know, again, I, um, even going back as a contractor and you see the units, you know, there's, there's things I miss about the military, yeah. you know, watching the soldiers and, you know, and then I'm thinking, you know, you guys are wasting so much of their time that they could be better engaged. But then you go to a meeting and you realize, yeah, see, I don't miss this. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, Rob, I went to a as a kind, I went. I went over there, and they said, "Hey, we're having this eighteen hundred meeting," and um, and and it was still in the same battle rhythm from when I was there before. It was, and I went in there and sat in this meeting. This was October of two thousand seventeen. I went and sat in this meeting, and literally at the end of it, when they went around and said, "Oh, hey, who's here new for the first time?" and I'm here. Oh, what do you think about the meeting? And I said, "Well." I don't want to miss anybody's hard work that they've been doing around here, but it took me back to June of 15 because you guys are talking about the same Same thing. thing. (laughs) (laughs) Only the names at the table have changed. (laughs) Oh, that's a terrible vicious cycle for 18 years of every nine months having that, you know? Well, you know, and through your transition, what has been uh, the thing that you've noticed the most? I mean, like, um, 
you know, do you feel like the lessons learned and the things that you acquired from the army has been helpful for your transition or was it, you know, that was like a chapter of my life and I'm now picking up new things. Yeah. It's more like that. It's more of, um, I'm done with that and I'm kind of waiting to see what the next thing is, you know, I'm not going to rush into anything. Mm -hmm. Not really, um, Kind of like taking a break, man. <laughs> it's really like it really is. I mean, because I, I mean, I went back to Afghanistan shortly after I retired, and so there really wasn't a transition of deployments, right? And you know, for for Noelle, it was like she was used to that, yeah. But then it got to the point. It's like, hey, you know what? I think it's time you come home. <laughs> You've been gone long enough, and so that's that's where we're at now. And it's nice to be home, and yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, Don was on the podcast well before while you were still on active duty before you separated. And so it's good to kind of have you back and, of course, getting a chance to to see you like this and um, meet up with you and stuff now after so many years. It's also pretty cool as well. Uh, yeah. To no, get a chance I, to connect again. And it is. So you'll get a you'll get a chance to get on here more often. Right. That's good. Like I said, that's one thing I will say about being in the military is, you know, People that you meet in the military, you tend to stay in contact with. At least the ones you liked. More than are the ones even even you're right, the ones that you like. But sometimes you don't you wouldn't know that you even like that person if it wasn't for the military. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, there's some people that you would see on the street in a town that would never get a time of day. And then on this side, you know, you're well, I think there's definitely a connection that happens just from people that are in the military. Um, whether you served in the same time period, you served in a different time period, once you find out that they're in service, there's just that common bond that's there and that common thread. Once you start getting back to it, you also start realizing after you've been out for a period of time that the Army is really small because you run into individuals oh, yes. that will know individuals by two and three degree uh, or may have been in the same unit or the same right. location. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty amazing uh, when those things occur. And again, that even strengthens that kind of bond that you already had because you you begin to realize it's not as big as you think it, it is. Isn't. That is true. That is true. And it, but now it's time to want to go do something different and do something. And like I said, I told myself, whatever it is I decide to do, it'll be after the sun comes up. <laughs> 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 and it won't be on the weekends. 